Combine's happening right now. Sean McVay, no pick until like the fifth round. He's not at the Combine. He's not interested. He doesn't care. We got to make sure that everything in life is in balance. It's cratering down to the core of the, the lava in the middle of the earth. <laughs> There's going to be yelling, there's going to be very hurt feelings, there's going to be very upset people coming out of your speakers for the next little bit. What the blankety blank are the owners doing here? that nobody knows about but me coming up at the end of the show that I'm super excited to give to you and everybody else. so much we are back we are finally back we have been on a little bit of a hiatus we'll get into that a little bit but we are back hopefully we can make this a little more regular I, I apologize like i said we'll get into the break we'll get into the hiatus um the unplanned unexpected hiatus that we had to take but we are back Thank you so much for listening, any and all parts that you join us for. I am Joseph Barr, host of Setting the Bar podcast. Joining me now, as he always will be, hopefully forever and more, Mitchell Hodgman. Mitch, it's hey. so great to hear your voice. My my voice is all right. Your voice is better. No, uh, don't you dare say blasphemous things like that. I love hearing your voice. It is sweet, sultry. And, uh, well, if I'm just going to say it, it's, uh, it's downright a little bit sexy. I'm just sitting here up in my attic getting a little, the, the temperature's going up a little bit. <laughs> oh, we can't, we can't all have good voices, I guess. So, um, Joseph NFL. So, uh, last, our last episode, of course, uh, we just had a slight issue with recording. Uh, but what we did do is we predicted the NFL playoffs. And how we thought it would, it would go. And, you know, you won the over-under on the coaches, my friend. But I came back and I won the playoffs. How do you feel about that? I feel like that Stan Kroenke in the last five years has had to, in one form or another, invest $10 billion into his NFL team stadium, moving it from St. Louis to LA. That was a mess. Build a new stadium in the city of LA, which everything is twice as expensive as it should be. $7 billion stadium comes up. City of St. Louis is trying to sue Kroenke, telling him that we had a deal in place to keep him in keep the, the Rams here. And then it's just magically happens that somehow the Rams end up in the Super Bowl. It just magically happens that the Rams win the Super Bowl in a year where they're hosting the Super Bowl. I am not an NFL conspiracy theorist, but uh, this seems a little too good to be true. Mitchell, I got to give you props. It played out almost exactly as you, as you said it would that, you know, a lot of the reasons I just laid out, Kroenke, uh, you know, is investing seven, eight, nine billion dollars, and the NFL kind of rewards him and is able to build that lifelong fan base. Interestingly enough, I was listening to uh, a podcast radio, can't remember which, but uh, they were talking to one of the marketing people for the Rams, and the marketing person for the Rams was like, "Hey, we don't even actually care about the fans now. Like, yeah, if you come to our games, that's great, but what we're trying to do." is establish long-term fans. What we're doing is we're trying to build a product for the kids because LA, so much of LA is, it's a destination city. And what I mean by that is people aren't generally born in LA. They kind of migrate to LA. 
uh, some stuff happened in the world. People are moving out of LA recently, but generally speaking, still people moving into the city of LA. And with that, a lot of people bring their own um, fan bases, their own allegiances through through the moving process. So what the marketing guy for the Rams was talking about is we are actually trying to build products, toys, and things for the kids who are born in LA right now. So that way when they grow up, they are Rams fans, that they have this allegiance and that they can remember this event happening, the Rams winning the Super Bowl in their home stadium, dad going crazy on the couch, mom being equally as excited. So I thought that was kind of interesting to hear that, uh, you know, in, in the biggest sport, in the biggest world, in the biggest sport on earth, that they're not actively trying to market to the to the adults. It's more of a child-based, um, you know, plush toys, t-shirts, stuff like that. Stuff where the kids will have these fond memories um, of the Rams and everything. But I, I got a little off track there. I just want to say congratulations. You you did predict the winner. Um, I was I was watching the Super Bowl quite saltily, knowing that um, <laughs> knowing that my pick, Tennessee Titans, had gotten eliminated in the first round. <laughs> the first round. Just sitting there watching the Super Bowl. I had I had Dallas and Tennessee, and no, like that could not have gone any worse. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to to think a little bit more on what you said with the marketing, and the only thing I can think of too, just to add on uh, on that piece quick, is that <clears throat> makes sense on how you want to target youth uh, that don't have any allegiances. But I'm wondering if you still do that if the Chargers aren't in town. Uh, you know, if you're putting out a product that's winning, uh, and and the product, like you said, that's the biggest sport in in the U.S. of A. Do you really have to do that? I mean, aren't those younger generation kids either A, they're just going to naturally root for who their parents root for, or B, they're going to naturally root for who's in their city. So the fact that the Chargers are there sharing their stadium, uh, you know, you, you feel a little bit like the Rams are trying to get a head start on that, uh, you know, down the road allegiance game. So interesting stuff there. But, um, you know, just to touch on the Rams super quick too, it, it's an interesting take on how they built that team. You know, they certainly built it through the draft in terms of uh, some of their defense and, and their defensive line. And I mean, Aaron Donald's been there for a while now, but um, you had a big trade in the offseason to get your quarterback. And then you have a couple in season trades to get some real older veterans like OBJ, Von Miller, et cetera. And so you, you piece together your team in multiple different ways. And it's just, it's uh, intriguing to me. Uh, as the league changes um, on how some of these strategies play out when you see these teams winning the Super Bowl. And uh, Tampa Bay, the year before, of course, they went out and got a quarterback and in their first season won it. So that's two years in a row now. Uh, you have a first-year quarterback winning the Super Bowl with their team. But uh, Tampa Bay did it a lot more with um, drafting and free agency, not really with trades. Uh, now you, you see the Ram doing a little bit of mix of a mix of there, but that's kind of what I like to see. Uh, and, and what I pay attention to is how these teams come together. I'm a big uh, component of, of watching that from afar. Need more of that too. Uh, the Rams treated this off season, like it was fantasy football and it was awesome. They like the way that they were able to just be like, Nope, I am not taking draft picks. I am not interested in these draft picks. I am interested in proven players that I know can win now. I do not care about draft picks. They went out and got Jalen Ramsey. They, they don't have a first-round pick until 2030. I genuinely think it's 2027 before they have a first-round pick again, and they don't care one bit because they just won the Super Bowl. Need more of that. Need more teams to treat the NFL like it's fantasy football. That is only going to drive ratings. It is only going to drive interest in the biggest sport, in the biggest league in the world. Agreed. All right. So football season's over with. I love football, but let's move on. Hold on. I got one last thing to add to this. Did you see the shirt? It was either Les Need or Cronky. Did you see the shirt they won at the Super Bowl parade? What? Either the general manager or the owner of the Rams. I forget who it was. Again, we're recording this now. Super Bowl is about a month ago. We apologize. We'll get into the hiatus. But either the general manager or 
the owner of the Rams wore a shirt to the Super Bowl parade, said, fuck them picks. <laughs> well, they ain't going to have any, so they're going to need Glorious. to have <laughs> Glorious. Sean, Sean McVay, combine's happening right now. Sean McVay, no pick until like the fifth round. He's not at the combine. He's not interested. He doesn't care. He's going to be looking at D2 schools that are producing one NFL or every three years. So I interrupt. I interrupted you. I apologize. No. No, you're good. Actually, I was a good, I was, I forgot I wanted to just touch on the fact that um, Amazon potentially just for one game a week was going to scoop up McVeigh for a hundred million for five years. I mean, just insanity that that report came out and McVeigh, I guarantee you uh, looked at that hard, um, but the Rams gave him a raise and he stayed. So uh, just interesting stuff there. Uh, to see the type of money that's being thrown around to broadcasters. Broadcasters. So, How big of a raise do you need to get to turn down $20 million a year? I mean, I, uh, I'm probably gone. I'm doing it, right? But if if I'm you know coming back to coach and that's my passion and my passion's not broadcasting and you give me $10 million a year for longer, I might stay. But man, $100 million for f- for five years? Dude. Are you joking me? And I mean, all I got to do is I show up on Thursday, watch football, show up on Thursday, conduct interviews for three days, talk to people who I've already talked to, watch a football game on Sunday, go home, rinse, repeat. And if NFL broadcasting jobs, like there's a reason there's only about 50 of them across everything. They are, they're sweet. I can only imagine there's somebody who's dabbled in broadcasting a little bit uh, radio wise. I can only imagine that as, as you know, you get more into that higher level, the money gets better. The interviews get better. There's more of a set schedule. You know, it's, yep. oh, it'd be sweet. All right. So um, I, I would like to just move on briefly to the old, good old state of hockey. Cause that's my jam as you know. Um, and you know, Why we don't do have to wild spend- stuck. Why do wild suck? Well, why let's do the just, wild suck? Let's just touch on this. I think that the a uh, couple of reasons why I think that what's happening with the wild right now. Uh, number one, and you can you can say, hey, well, Mitch, listen, all these teams are going through this. The yeah, wild I, I get it. They need to stop allowing seven goals again. <laughs> Here's what I think part of this is: is that every hockey season, no matter who you are. You're going to go through some ups and downs. It's a long season. Now, you know, football is a little bit different. I mean, you can have a couple bad games in a row, but it's a short 16, well, now 17, right, game season. And and you have a week off to perform your absolute best once a week. You have to perform your absolute best once a week. And I think that 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 leads to you being able to do so a little bit better. With hockey, um, I think it's a little bit difficult to sustain the level of play that you want to for 82 games. And you'll hear not just in high school hockey and and in college hockey, but certainly in pros too, you want to be playing well at the right time, which the right time means as you get, as you're leading up to and getting into the playoffs, you want to be playing very well. And the only reason why that that statement comes out and is, is a statement that that I hear that every single year the reason why that's a statement is because there's teams that just don't play well here and there. And I think that's a little bit of what the Wild's going through right now. They just have to kind of find their game a little bit. Um, I think some of the larger factors is when you look at um, the Wild with the Olympics and what happened there and some of the the games that they got delayed uh, due to COVID in December. I think they the Wild went through a stretch where they played five times in a matter of like two or three weeks or something ridiculous. Um, and so with the Olympics being canceled and all these games being made up, I saw, I believe that the wild were going to play 40 games in 77 days. And um, they're in that stretch right now. They have had um, a, a decent stretch of road games now. So they're on the road playing every other night. Matter of fact, they played Tuesday uh, now they're playing tonight and they're playing tomorrow. Um, and so three games in four days. And it's just it's just a grueling schedule. Um, and, and like I said, oh, well, Mitch, other teams go through that. Yeah, I get that. I don't know if there is 
a team that's playing more games in as many days, however. And the the other little thing, too, is it's a great thing to have, but the Wild just don't have injuries right now. Um, and so their their main players are who's playing. You know, you're not seeing the fourth line, uh, you know, have a new player every other game or, you know, a, a decent uh player out for you know five six seven games now matt dumba uh has been out a little bit here and there nick bukestad just came back from a long absence so there are some small examples of of some injuries here but you know i would say a, a big bulk of the team is the same team night in and night out and this i think they're just a little bit fatigued right now at this point of the season any of those players you mentioned nick bukestad matt dumba can they stop the wild from allowing seven <laughs> goals a game? That's all I care about. I don't, yeah. I don't like all the rest of it is irrelevant. You're never going to win a hockey game unless somehow you're, I think it was the flyers or it was the Pittsburgh penguins and Detroit red wings that had a football score, 10, seven hockey game, yeah. but you're not going to win, win any hockey game allowing six goals a game. The wild. I don't know if it's bad breaks or, or what it is, but as as the trade deadline approaches, do you see the Wild maybe reaching out for a goaltender? I've seen reports that they've been linked to Mark Andre Fleury. Um, anybody else that maybe is would be available could be of interest for a team that's struggling um, in that department. Um, I do not. I do not think that that's the case. Um, I actually think you know the goaltenders have been playing pretty well overall throughout the season. Now, Kakinen has been playing really, really well. Talbot. Seven goals a game. Every time I watch this team, it's <laughs> five to two with the Wild losing, by the way. So so the last couple games against the Flames, the Flames have scored seven, and then they've scored five. The Flames, however, are the number one team in the Pacific, and their last ten games, I think they're like nine and one, scoring like four goals a game. So the Flames are an anomaly that are just playing so well right now. It's it's really a good thing for them. They're a really good team. Minus the two Flames games, there's not really big blips of uh, massive scores against the Wild. The Wild actually just can't score right now. It's actually kind of the opposite. So that's what's happening. Yeah, definitely be afraid of this Calgary team that has to play the majority of their games against Seattle, 17 and 34, San Jose, who's 24 and 24, and dealing with that Evander Kane debacle, Vancouver, 26 and 23. Yeah, definitely, you know, be terrified of Calgary playing in probably what would be the weakest division in the NHL. And that that makes sense why they are number one. But I bet if you go look at their last 10 games, it's it's not even close. Um, I, I don't need to look at the Calgary last 10 games. I'm looking at the wild last 10 games and they're what, <laughs> three and three and seven with bad loss, two losses to the jets. Um, and then they've lost four, four in a row now. So I I'm with you. I think that the wild are, they're definitely talented enough. They've got the young talent coming up through the ranks that maybe just needs to mature, but you know, if, if this is just a low point in the season, it is quite the low point um, that that just mm-hmm. needs needs to stop. I mean, you're beating well, your point. And, and I think part of this is, too, it's the inflated expectations of, of the hockey team. Um, Minnesota being the state of hockey, you, you do get some of that where if we start off uh, good in a season – you get the fans excited. Now the fans' expectations rise. And then when the team doesn't meet the expectations, it's, hey, what's wrong with the hockey club? Well, did you expect them to be a Stanley Cup contender at the beginning of the season? That that would be my question. And, you know, I think it's funny because my mom's been getting into getting into the games recently and really paying attention this year. And I think the Wild got off to a tremendous start. They were like 15 and, and 6 or something early on or whatever they were. And my mom's like, oh, my gosh, like, this is amazing and all the stuff. And I'm like, but listen, so I, I, I remember this conversation. I told her, I said, at the end of the year, the wild are going to end up second or third in their own division. Okay. So just let's, let's let this season play out. And, and so I think that's what some of these fans who have got really excited. I mean, the wild were in, in some publications first, second or third in Stanley cup odds uh, here about two, three weeks ago when, when they were really humming and, I kept looking at that as as a realistic fan of being like this hockey team 
doesn't have, at least for now, the scoring to be that high uh, in, in a Stanley Cup um, odds situation, if you will. So I think they're coming back down a little bit to earth. Obviously, three and seven isn't back down to earth. That's cratering down to the core of the, the lava in the middle of the earth <laughs> uh, for now. But I, I mean, realistically, they, they are a top 10 NHL team, but they are not a top five slash top three team. And and that's that's my opinion. Um, but I think that's a little bit what you're seeing is these fans have gotten really excited. So I have the wild game right in front of me. Um, guess what? They're already losing. We're not even five minutes into the game. They've already let up a goal to the Philadelphia Flyers. By this, on just going by the law of averages, right now they're on pace to give up four goals a period and lose this game 12 to zero. Just saying. <laughs> which, which sounds like something the Wild will have done. Just embarrassing. I want to I want to circle back to something you said that uh, it's it's the fans' fault for getting expectations up. Are you saying that teams should lose at the early part of the season to temper expectations? Is that something that you are you are a proponent of? Uh no, I would not say that. I think as a professional team, you need to try to win every game you can. You want to get as many points as you can early in the season because you know later in the season it's going to be a fatigue type of grind with the eighty-two game schedule. Um. I, if you just look at the wild record though, I mean, they're, they're still 31 and 17. They're winning two out of, you know, almost two out of every three games in the NHL. That's a fantastic record to have. Um, so yeah, not playing well right now. That That's the end of the story. But, but I would say the, what I say the fans fault is, is the fans are feeling let down. I think it's their own fault for getting excited. That's what I'm saying. Just never be excited about sports. Doesn't matter. Your team is <laughs> 17 and 0 going into the playoffs. But if I if I'm upset when they lose, I you know, I should expect that. My goodness. When you win, expectations come. That's when I think for me, you know, there's a little bit on the fans, but mostly it comes on the players to step up. I mean, if you you're setting an expectation um and and the expectation should be to win. You know, like no doubt about it. The expectation for players going into every single game, regardless of the sport, should be to play hard and to win. Uh, this wild team is just really faltered, really floundered in the last, like we talked about, 10 games. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny that we have a little bit of a different opinion on this, but the reality is one team is going to win uh, at the end of the year in any sport. And so there's going to be 31 teams or, you know, 29 teams or whatever the league we're talking about is. They're going to be however many fan bases they are going to be disappointed and it's not going to go their way. And, you know, oh, it's the players fault for losing. Well, maybe they just got beat by a better team. And, and you know, th so I, I think that, you know, the, the fan bases and, and, and fans who just get just get so overly passionate about it. I love overly passionate people. Um, but what I don't like is overly complainers, uh, about this or that, or this went wrong. And I can't believe that you would do this. And just, just those types of attitudes and hearing those types of things, uh, I hate, uh, sometimes they just lost because some other team has to win. And that's just it. That's just the end of the story. And what, and hockey more than to me, hockey, more than any other sport, you know, there's so much puck luck. Um, that's, that's always what I've kind of referred to it as where you, you know, a, a lucky bounce goes your way, hits a skate, you know, deflects into the net, something like that. Hockey's a weird sport like that. And, and oftentimes with hockey, you know, it's not even the number one seed that wins the Stanley cup. It's the, uh, it's the team that got, like you were talking about earlier, got hot at the right time. Yep. Um, so hopefully that can be the wild, but I, it's hard to see it right now. Right now, obviously, it feels like the world is falling apart and around us for this wild team um, as Minnesota hockey fans and everything like that. Yeah, as we speak, uh, the, just the last thing I'll touch on with the NHL and, and the wild being our favorite teams, of course, is that <clears throat> the the fact remains is they're in the toughest division in the NHL still. I mean, it's been the toughest division in the NHL for, for a couple of years now. Um, you know, people can make an argument for other divisions, but... You just you just don't have a deep as division as you do with the central for a year in and year out. Right now, the Wilds are sitting 
having to beat the Blues in a series. And then the second round, they get the Colorado Avalanche, who are the number one team in the NHL. Unfair. So if you beat the Blues, which I think the Wild can, and, and if I were to put odds on it, I would have the Wild winning you know, probably 6 out of 10 of those series. 60% chance to win. Um, they, they go against the Avalanche. And I, I do think slightly the Wild, or excuse me, the Avalanche has a uh, goalie issue. And they potentially have a defensive um, issue on their team, depth-wise, I should say. Their top couple defensemen are outstanding. So if if any team is going to beat the Avalanche, it's going to be a team who can um, you know, make that goalie issue or that lack of defenseman depth hurt. But Wild, right now, they're not that team. They're not a high-scoring team to, to make that uh, hurt. And so I just, I'm really, really nervous about that second round matchup. And, and that's personally why me being passionate as I am about the wild, I do not uh, give them a good chance to make it out of the second round this year. Um, if by chance the avalanche lose in the first round or they have an injury or two and the wild can escape, um, then you got the flames potentially who just outclassed you the last two, two games in a row. You played them because they're a little bit of a heavier team and, and a little bit uh, faster, I believe. Um, and so it's just, it's just going to be an absolute, absolute grind to get out of the central and then to get out of the West. And, um, it's just not looking good. Not yet. Not this year, maybe in a couple of years from now. Yeah. I get a few more years of that, uh, you know, young talent developing Matt Boldy and, uh, the other, the other old new guy who names escaped me at the minute, just jump in with it when you got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got Boldy, we got Rossi, we have, That's the one, Rossi. um, we have Wallstead, our goalie, uh, coming up here in a couple of years. He'll be up in three, that's four years. Fake, that's probably a fake, ma- fake name. That wasn't real. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we talked hockey. We talked a little bit about the uh, NFL. Um, Surprise that nobody knows about but me coming up at the end of the show that I'm ooh. super excited to give to you and everybody else. Oh, boy. Do you, before we get going into our uh, baseball talk, because we're going to get heated with that. Um, do you want to touch on your absence quick before we forget about it? Yes, I do. Um, we, there's, everybody's busy nowadays. There's no doubt about it. And there's no, uh, there's, there's no, you know, going around it. Everybody is busy. Everyone's got a lot going on with that. Um, the analogy that most often gets used is we all wear a lot of hats, you know, um, just, quickly running off the top of my head just doing this podcast all of a sudden now i have a director hat a content creator hat um producer hat an editing hat um to go along with all of the other all the other hats that you wear i don't i'm not a big fan not a big proponent of the hat analogy because even when you're not in whatever you're doing you're still those things um so for me you know father husband even when I'm at work, I am still those things. It's not just because I take the hat off. Um, you know, I'm not those things all of a sudden. Uh, the analogy that I like to use a little bit better for me that works is it's a balancing act. Um, you know, whether it's uh, walking a tightrope, anything like that, um, we got to make sure that everything in life is in balance. Um, when things when things get out of balance, they tend to affect other parts of your life, other parts of your job, career, whatever it is. Um, so I had to, I had to take a step back, not just from, not just from this and Mitchell, I love doing this. I love hanging out with you and just talking sports. Honestly, this is something that you and I do anyway. Now we're just recording it. Um, I had to take a step back from, from a lot of different parts of that balancing act and kind of reset my priorities. I'm happy to say that it's everything is good. We're we're I'm in a better place. Everything is in a better place now. Um, but we are we have to make sure that we're always taking care of ourselves. Mitchell, this goes for you. This goes for everybody who's listening. Um, you know, you have to do. No one's going to take care of you but you. So, um, even if it's not the the easiest thing in the world, you know, making sure that you can take a step back. And, and and put yourself in a position to succeed again, even if it's a little bit down the road, but reset, kind of reset those priorities. Um, I had to, 
I am very happy to say that everything is fine. I mean, I, I mentally, emotionally, physically, everything I'm in a much better place now than I was um, two months ago. So uh, I'm not going to get into specifics about it, but um, yeah, we're we're good. Everything is yeah. good. No, I I uh, <clears throat> I appreciate the message, and I think that that as human beings, I mean, I think it's really important to know that other human beings go through what you go through. You know, maybe not to the extent of what you go through, or maybe for not as long. Um, but I think all all of us as human beings, we endure our own version of uh stressful times hard times whatever it may be and and just to know that you know you've got this you're you're gonna get through it it's gonna be okay you're still breathing um you know we're here for you you may not have a lot of people here for you but we're here for you so um i I like your analogy that the balancing act um you know kind of what i view it as is you know you can only juggle so many balls at once before you drop one um and you know, sometimes if you have too many balls in rotation, that's just what you have to choose to do. Um, and you, you got to get your your mental health right. You got to be physically, um, you know, on top of stuff as well. And so, uh, yeah, we can we can leave it at that. I appreciate you sharing and uh, trying to get that message out for for everyone who who may need need it. Wow, needs it. There we go. Yeah, of course. I mean. We're we're living in a time in an age where we're before more more than other and I'll I'll just I'll say especially as men we are um we're, we're trying to get away from this stick I at least I personally trying to get away from this stigma that uh you know as as a man you can't show emotion can't cry can't do anything like that like there is I I'm trying to get away from that um I I don't want to use the phrase toxic masculinity but you know, Dis- oh boy, uh, here we go. Disney has a has a song uh, in Frozen 2, Mitchell, you as a father probably know it well, the Kristoff song when he's uh, lost in the woods. There's a line in there that just hits me in the feels every single time. Um, it, you're feel, you feel what you feel and your feelings are real, you know, and, and that's something that I, I think that we just, we all need to be aware of. Um, that's that i think i think we're good on that that was our life talk for this that was your life minute brought to you by insert sponsor <laughs> here okay there's going to be yelling there's going to be very hurt feelings there's going to be very upset people coming out of your speakers for the next little bit <laughs> we are going to talk about this baseball lockout and now i want to start by telling people who might not be the biggest baseball fans in the world that uh opening day has already been pushed back and wait i got ahead of myself i want to start with this this lockout is on the owners that there's there's two types of work stoppages that exist there's a lockout and a strike a strike comes from the workers or employees of a corporation or the employees and part of a union agreeing and banding together not to go to work anymore this is a lockout the owners and the people in charge said you're not coming to work anymore this is the equivalent to your employees going to work one day and finding out that you changed the locks on the door and then not giving them a key or a way to get back in so i want to start with that that this is an owner sanctioned lockout the players have little if anything to do with the actual not showing up to work part of this all right so with that being said um i don't know how much we want to go in the weeds yet but but here's what i'll say at the surface of my initial swan thought dive. process one dive right we're, into we're, it. We're, we're, we're gonna go into it but here is my here's what my first initial thought process on the surface was was that um what the blankety blank are the owners doing here and um you know i'm always gonna be for you know if if you look at let's just take a company out of the blue let's just say we're gonna pick out ford ford motor company right 
I am always going to be for the factory workers making more, the marketing people making more, the, the, the CPAs at the Ford Motor Company making more. I want the employees of the company to always get the best rises they can. I don't want to see and hear none of this absolute trash nonsense of 2% per year, 3% per year. Like, I, I hate that. So so with that being said, that's my mindset, right? Is that I'm all for employees. The owners already make too much. Now, small business is different, right? But when we're talking big businesses that make millions of dollars of profit each year, talking about let's, the second let's, most profitable sport <laughs> in America. Let's start giving some of that profit back to the people that let you and allow you to make that profit. And people will say, oh, well, you'll just get new employees. You know, that's fine. But you can't, you cannot replace all of them at once. Okay? So give them some more money. Now, with that being said, that was my initial thought process is, hey, 100% with the players. Now, um... During this lockout, during the news, during everything that I've read, I've seen, I've come across, um, I am still with the players. I will say this. However, I am understanding of some of the owners' thought processes and what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. However, just because I understand some of it doesn't mean I still agree with it. Um... I just want to make this fun fact, by the way. Um, back in the last lockout, 1994, that's when the players wanted what is now known as the collective bargaining tax. Okay, The 220k quote-unquote soft cap. So the players wanted that. Now, in this lockout, the players still want it, but they want it raised. And so that's the, that's the number one I think issue today uh, is the collective bargaining tax. That's number one. And I think number two, uh, the, the biggest issue is the minimum salaries. That's what I'm reading and, and thinking that's the two bigger issues. Now we can talk about some of the smaller issues and, you know, um, that type of thing. Uh, but that's what I believe is happening. And the other thing I believe is happening is the owners have quote unquote given in on a bunch of issues and and or have met halfway on a lot of these issues, making it seem like they're doing good faith negotiations. But the couple of bigger issues that far and away are going to cost them the absolute most money, they're not budging on. So don't don't get the smoke and mirrors mixed up, folks. The owners still have not negotiated in good faith. And um, they're making it, they're trying to make it look like they have been and they are. So when you talk about um, owners making more money and everything like that, owners already making too much money. Um, from what I have seen and what I, the numbers that I remember, if we think of 100% of all baseball profits that are made, baseball revenue that is made, the owners who, by the way, keep in mind, are not on the field. They have nothing to do other than financing the on-the-field product. The owners make 55% of all baseball revenue that is made, and then that's split between 30 of them, the 30 owners of baseball. And then all of the players combined split the other 45%. I can't help but sit here as an low-level employee of a local retail store and realize that, you know, if I was responsible for filling stadiums, filling a stadium, and I'm the reason people are buying hot dogs, and I'm the reason people are putting their butts in the seat, and I'm the reason that people are paying astronomical prices to park, I would want more than 45 cents on the dollar uh, split 25 times 750 ways um so i definitely feel like and you know i don't think it's any secret that the owner that the players are getting the short end of the stick mm -hmm. um and let me say let me say this with that so it goes along with your thought process right so 
<clears throat> like I said, one one of the couple of bigger issues remaining that the owners have not budged a, a damn inch really uh, is the collective bargaining tax. So what the uh, MLBPA, the most recent proposal that they've asked for, is that in 2022, that tax um, goes to 238, 238 million. And then it goes up to 244, 250, 256, and 263. So if I were to just uh, pull out my calculator real fast, okay, and just do some of this math here, 233 divided by 244, that's about 2.5%. And then 244 divided by 250 is, a, is another, you know, 2.5%. So this is going up 2.5% per year, okay, for five years. That's what the players are asking for, for a collective bargaining tax, a.k.a. the soft cap, right? Um, now, the other funny part of this is that there's teams that are not even getting close to this. Mo majority of the, the Major League Baseball is not going to get close to this tax. That's what's crazy to me, That why this is such an issue, okay? But... That... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to finish with my thought of that the fact that um, that's what the players want to see for a, a CBT, the collective bargaining tax. The owners are sitting here saying, no, we want to keep it at 220 and we want to keep it at 220 for 2022, 2023, and 2024. And we'll go up to 224 and then we'll go up to 230. So they literally want to keep it the same for three years and then they'll go up 10K basically for the total of five years. Okay, what that is, ladies and gentlemen, for a total of a five year total, is they're going up 10K or in other words, 4.5%. Okay, it is absolutely just ridiculous. The fact that if you think about the revenues, you, just, you were just touching on the revenues and that's why this ties into this, is that baseball revenues are going up on average the last however many years of about, um, I think they were going up about um, 8 million a year. Or was it? No, excuse me. It's 8% a year. So the revenues are going up 8% per year. But the and owners only want to raise the CBT 4.5% for a five-year total span. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, is that the owners are going to be raking in all of the extra revenue and then some. So if you look, actually look at the share of the profit, like you just mentioned, the 55 to 45%. That would, in essence, if this uh, CBT thresholds were to pass what the owners uh, wanted, that would actually spread that percentage out even greater in five years from now. It would be something like 60-40, maybe even 65-35. Yeah, and again, you know, if I'm a player and I'm getting 35 cents of the dollar split 700 ways, I'm not showing up to work either. Um, <laughs> like, the the players... The players are right in in holding out for this. Like they are, they are, and have been completely getting getting the shaft um, when it comes to getting paid. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this conversation right here for just a second. I understand and think that yes, athletes, all athletes are overpaid, but you're also worth what somebody is willing to pay you. If somebody is going to give me a million dollars to sit here and do this podcast, I'm not going to tell them no. You are worth what somebody is willing to pay you. Just wanted to, for because I, I already hear the backlash of athletes make too much money. Well, every, it's owners make more money than the than the athletes. So, um, but yeah, like the and like I got so many thoughts, and I'm I'm so flustered by this situation. The fact that let's take the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates, the fact that they're operating salary for on the field, less than $50 million. So over the course of a season, these teams are pulling in hundreds if hundreds and hundreds are probably approaching a billion dollars. Even the worst teams, you're pulling in money on, on local TV deals, on hot dog sales, stadium tickets, uh, parking, all of this. And you're telling, you're telling the players, you're telling the fans that 
uh, we're not trying to win, so uh, we're literally just going to pay Chris Davis $17 million a year <laughs> to strike out. It's asinine. It's just, it's completely yeah. asinine. So I, I don't necessarily want to be all doom and gloom in this session. I want to say a couple things with the fact that I do appreciate where some of these things are going. Um, I love the fact that they want a draft lottery. Uh, and they're going to implement that for the five worst teams. Already, I, that has been agreed to. Yep. I absolutely love the fact that uh, you get to get earned a one year of service time if you finish in the top two uh, of the rookie of the year for both AL, uh, AL and NL, so that'll be four uh, people total per year. They're going to get a year of service. Uh, and the teams get bonus draft picks for putting uh, prospects on opening day rosters. You get a bonus draft pick for putting top prospects on your roster. Like, how cool is that? So I, I do have to just take a, a brief moment and say, listen, I do, um, you know, commend the owners for giving in on some of these things and, and making some of these things a reality. The fact that we're going to have international draft instead of just whoever gets to sign who wants to. Now, I know that you have an international spending cap. I get that. So people say, well, that kind of acts like a draft. But in this situation, you know it as well as I know. The Orioles and the Rays and the, and the Pirates and all these you know, undesirable places to play that aren't winning, they're not going to have a chance at the best players in the international um, free agency each year, the J2 classes, right? They may be able to sign the number 10 prospect because they have to you know, they have the, the same amount of international spending money as most teams. So they're going to go out and spend $3 million on someone. So, so they might get a decent prospect. But the fact that they're going to do an international draft is awesome. Universal DH, super cool. Um, some people don't like it, but I do like the 12-team uh, postseason field. So there's some really good things here for baseball. Um, there is. I think there can be more done in this CBA though, to make baseball even better. And like you mentioned, I think one of them is a minimum salary. I think you, you need to have a minimum salary of, I'm just going to say it a hundred million. I, I think that that has to be a salary floor. So that's the number one thing I'd love to see, which isn't going to, it's, it's not going to be agreed upon. It's not going to be in this CBA, but that's what I would love to see. And then the, this CBT uh, issue, it has to go the player's way. Um, if it goes somewhat to the owner's way, I'm going to be very disappointed in that. Unfortunately, I mean, if, if it comes into a long-term play, the owners just simply have more resources. I mean, when you're an athlete, so much of your money is tied to the game. And for anybody who doesn't know, when they're not on the field, they're not getting paid. The owners have owners and commissioner have all come out and said that we're not paying salaries uh, during the lockout. So unfortunately the owners really can just wait out the players um and it's a really unfortunate situation and, and that's where the whole good you know negotiating in good faith idea comes from um i i'm 100 percent with you i i think a salary floor is completely needed um and all these small market teams raise the raise the royals you know these small market teams are going to come back and say you know, that's unrealistic for us to expect us to spend a hundred million dollars. Well, it's not, it's just not, you can, you can fork over some of your money where your mouth is and uh, put a product on the field that's worth spending for. And that's something that kind of gets lost. If you have a product that's competitive, that people want to see, people will fill up your stadium more and you will make more money. It's that whole idea of spending money to make money. But yeah, the salary floor is, it, it should be agreed to. The reason yep. it won't be agreed to um, is for the owners to put in a salary floor, they would want also a salary cap and the players would never agree to a salary, uh, a, mm -hmm. a true hard cap number. Yep. And I think what the salary floor would also do that, that you know, it, if it makes teams spend money, what it's officially going to do, Joe, is it's going to make those other teams they're going to be more willing to spend above the collective bargaining tax threshold. Look at the Dodgers, Yankees, etc. If you if you have the Orioles, Rays, Blue Jays, 
all three of those teams, if they have a hundred, you know, K or a hundred million salary floor, that what's going to the Red Sox and the Yankees going to do? They're going to be like, okay, well, if we have three competitive teams in our division, we can't be the ones coming in fourth or fifth. We've got to spend more than the CBT threshold. And so by, by just default, that excise tax is going to go to those lower spending clubs and it's going to pay for the salary floor anyways. The but again, but, but again, the money's going to be coming from the owners in that situation. Can you imagine what the Rays could do with a hundred million dollar salary? They already, <laughs> already go to the Super Bowl every five or Super Bowl. They already go to the World Series every five years, you know, with a thirty million dollar salary. The Rays with a hundred million dollar salary, they're like be no competition. The Rays would just win everything every year. I I need to touch on Manfred uh, in this entire situation. Mm-hmm. There's been a total lack and a total failure in leadership for the owners and baseball, major league baseball as a whole. This lockout started December 2nd. They didn't, they, the owners and the players union met for a total of seven minutes in a month, in the month of December. You can say the holidays got in the way. You can say whatever you want. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to, I don't care. I do not care. You met for seven minutes in a month. Like there has been such a lack in, in leadership that I genuinely wonder if it isn't the owner's plans in the owner's plan to wait out the players. Mm-hmm. Manfred, when he announced the cancellation of the first two series, he was on the podium laughing. Like, what is happening? Does I want to know if Manfred cares about baseball at all, or if he is merely a pawn for 30 of the richest people in the world. I, 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 I don't hate him as much <laughs> as baseball purists do, but I do think he is an incompetent fool. I think that there's got to be some delusions of what his role really is. And when you say commissioner of baseball, you know, when you say commissioner, what does that mean? Commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, right? The commissioner of whatever sport you want to talk about. Like, what does that mean? And and I think the average fan, the average fan doesn't really understand. Like, if if you're talking about, you know, the CEO or the president of a company, you kind of have an idea what that means, right? You, that means that you are solely in charge of to put the leadership in place underneath you to be able to run the company the smoothest, you know, have the best product, have the best marketing, customer service, and make the most profit. Like that that's what your role is, right? But the commissioner, like just to to me even, honestly, I'm like, what are what is your what is your real job? And I think to me at the surface, his job is to make sure that the MLBPA, the Players Association, and the owners are working in tandem to try to make baseball work and, and thrive and, and be the best baseball can. But how does one go about doing that? And, and quite frankly, I think that that is almost an impossible job to have. And so, yes, I'm not at hating Manford, but I think I'm at the point where I hate the position of an MLB commissioner, because at the end of the day, what ends up happening just by default, even if you are a good, kind-hearted, you mean well person, I think if you're put in that position, you are, you you end up being the pawns of the owners. There's no doubt in my mind, no matter the person that gets into that role, that that's what happens, unless you start to change what that that role that commissioner really truly does and means. But as of now, it sucks. So that's a, that's a great question. What, like, like that, like you said, that role, what is that? The commissioner, the commissioner, and I've looked into this. The commissioner is the middleman. Again, the people who own professional sports teams are the wealthiest, most powerful people on the planet. It is unrealistic to think that 28, 30, 32 of these unbelievably wealthy and powerful people would ever be together on the same day for extended periods of time. 
So the commissioner's job is to act as the middleman between the owners and the players and the players union. He is supposed to be the voice of the owners. And the fact that this person, this sole individual becomes the voice of 30 billionaires is the reason he is hated so much across all sports except base except basketball adam silver has done a tremendous job but manfred bettman and goodell they are viewed publicly as just incompetent idiots because they are trying to appease their bosses and their bosses are the 30 people or 32 people who own professional sports franchises and if there's anything that we have learned in the past five years is that America hates billionaires. So naturally, when one person is speaking for 30 billionaires, that person is going to be hated as well. For sure. Um, and it's just, it's a sad state of affairs on how a sport turns into um that type of situation. Like if you, if you, the commission, the officer of the commissioner of baseball should solely care about growing the game of baseball, growing the profits of the owners all at the same time while growing the income and revenue, the players get, it should be, you should care about all three. And the fact that the profits of the owners is about 90% of what you care about says all I need to know about the office of the office of the commissioner of baseball and end of story. It's such a, it's just a terrible, like the, the entire situation is, is horrible. I have maintained uh, from the start that baseball, not, not to me. And I, I hate that. It, I feel this way, but baseball is, is becoming so much more regionalized and it's, it it just is what it is. It's it's a dying sport. There's so little action that happens, and there's so much time spent between pitches, you know, that it, it can't hold the attention of younger generations. It can't hold the attention of younger younger people. And I've maintained from the start that if it gets to a point where we have to cancel games and like like real meaningful baseball isn't played beginning of April by mid April at the latest, you're going to lose some, you're going to lose your casual fans, but you're also going to start losing some of your hardcore fans, people who grew up watching baseball, people who are sick of watching um, pitchers get checked between innings for sick, sticky substances on their hands. People who are tired of the shift. I mean, everything, everything about it. People are sick of analytics running the game and your starting pitcher getting taken out after the second inning because he can't make it two times through a lineup. You're, you are losing fans because of, because of, of a, of a multitude of reasons. And it's such a shame that like, big picture that the owners and the players just don't seem to care i i yeah. mean like there seems to be such a bubble like baseball players and baseball owners they see the game as fine and they're not listening to the fans um opinions are not it feels like they're not listening to the fans and how they feel about the game it feels like the owners and the players are so insulated from what people are saying about baseball that I, I am curious to see what the future of baseball is five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if it even resembles the same game that it does now. I, I'm intrigued to know why you're looking at just a five-year collective bargaining agreement. Um, I understand the, the thought process on one hand where you really don't know uh, what the economy and what life is going to be like in five years. Um, so you don't want to go too far out. Like I get that portion of it. But at the same time, if you're going to enact some pretty major changes to the game of baseball, you cannot sit here and say, well, and, and have a good gauge of how those changes went. You can't have a good ga gauge in three years or, or in four years. 
because like look at the the international draft and the lottery picks and those types of things you need a sample size to see if those types of things worked uh for example same thing with the collective bargaining tax and what they're going to be doing with the the you know going up hopefully right they side with the players and they're going to go up um you know two and a half three percent per year um how does that impact the game and free agency and what the lower market teams are going to do? You know, you, you just, you can't get a good gauge after just two, three, four years. I don't feel like on a lot of these topics. So just the five-year collective bargaining agreement thing is intriguing to me as well. And what, what I'm really hoping for is they don't mess this up. They, they somewhat come to an okay agreement. And in five years, they realize, oh shoot, we need to make some major changes. In in five years from now, in 2027, um, you best believe that there's going to be different viewpoints on what what needs to change, and that's what my hope is. Yeah, it's it's me too, and I mean, I I, I love baseball. Uh, it's it's right up there. Football is my favorite sport. Um, baseball, hockey. It just depends on the time of year. If there's snow on the ground, I want to watch hockey. When I see green grass, I want to watch baseball, and I. Um, I, I am such a, I, I, there are so many ways that baseball could be better, but baseball doesn't seem interested. They rely so much on the, the, you know, this is the way baseball has been, and this is the way Mm -hmm. it will be going forward. And it's, it's, it's just, it's not working anymore. And it's, there's studies out. There's so much information that shows that baseball is it it just is a dying sport and nobody seems nobody within the game itself seems interested or it seems like they are able to realize that and it's such a it's a damn shame it it's just it's truly a damn shame indeed well joe um it's been great i think we're we're kind of pushing our time limit here if yep. we not that we have one but I think that uh, we've done a good job today on covering the topics we wanted to cover. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing if the Wild come out of their slump here um, over the next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, we'll we'll just go from there. Oh, it's tied at two, end of the first. Wild are tied at two. (laughs) Mitchell, first show that we had together, you said that you dabble in investment. I want to give you the floor. You have one to two minutes, however long you need. Give us investment minute, Mitchell. Investment Mitchell is here, folks. Ooh, well, um, if I were going to say anything for investments on just the average Joe, and again, this is not going to go towards um, all of the masses. I know that there's different people within different stages of life and different stages of income, but just the average person, um, here's what I'm going to say. Crypto is scary, people, okay? Um, The best way for an average Joe to reach their retirement goals is to stay the course, stay in the market. Don't get scared with a uh, economy dip, stay in the market. I think there's a stat out there and I really want to, I should have pulled it up. Um, if, you, if, if I knew you were going to ask me about this, but um, if you missed something like the best 20 days in the market over the last like five years, something, this stat is something like this. If you missed the best 20 days, uh, you actually really wouldn't have been making any money. I think you, you would have made like 3 or 4% over the last 3 or 4 years. So by not staying in the market, folks, uh, you are hurting yourself. So that's my, that's my one-minute quick thing for your average Joe. Abs- is don't get stared. Stay in the market. Be wary of crypto. Nobody knows how crypto works, so just stay away from it. It's <laughs> it's not even real money. Russia's investing in crypto, if that tells you anything. We're going to do it like we always do. We're going to end on a joke. Mitchell, where do pirates get their hooks? The secondhand store. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Have a great night. We'll talk to you guys again sometime. <laughs>